I'm speaking this morning with Lee DeForth, who's a comprehensive planner for the city of Columbia, South Carolina. She's been with the city since 2015, and in addition to her work with the city's comprehensive plan, Columbia Compass, she works with area plans through the city, bike and pedestrian planning efforts, and other planning and development services and citywide initiatives. Prior to working with the City of Columbia, she spent 11 years as a planner with Buncombe County, North Carolina, where she worked on long-term and current planning efforts, as well as affordable housing, sustainability, and economic development initiatives. Welcome, Lee, and thanks for joining us this morning. Thanks for having me. So I wanted to start out by asking how you got interested in cities and particularly how you chose to pursue a career in planning. Sure, so I actually came to planning in a bit of a roundabout way. Um, and, and I don't think that's uncommon for planners, for sure, but uh, I worked with an affordable housing program um, first as a volunteer in high school and then as a um, summer staffer in college called Appalachia Service Project. And we basically, it was low-income housing repair to make homes warmer, safer, and drier, so emergency home repair. And um, after college, I, I moved to... Um, I was a Russian studies undergrad, so not at all related. Um, we did not have a social work program at UVA, which is probably what I would have done um, if, I, if I had thought that one through. But um, we, I, I, I and a couple of friends moved to Asheville. We wanted to be in the mountains, wanted to be in a city that was large enough to have some um, employment opportunities, but also be close enough to kind of the, the nature and the beauty that we had spent some time with um, through ASP, which works in Southern Virginia, West Virginia, Kentucky, and Tennessee. So um, ended up in Asheville and um, started kind of interviewing with different nonprofits that were engaged in housing. And one of those nonprofits actually suggested that I apply for a job with Buncombe County, which was tied to the um, hurricane damage that the, the county received, which is strange for Western North Carolina. It's pretty, you know, you're eight, eight hours inland when you're driving, but um, we, we were hit by hurricanes Ivan and Francis in 2004, actually like the weekend after I moved to town. And, um, and there was a lot of flooding and there were landslides and the state had a, a CDBG or community development block grant type uh, housing recovery program for low-income homeowners and renters. And so um, I interviewed for that job and got that job. And kind of as the grant ran out, it was about a two-year grant, uh, we started to talk about adopting countywide zoning. Um, we had not had countywide zoning prior. prior. And um, I was thrown into a lot of that and some economic development research and, and just kind of hit the ground running from there and and did a lot of on-the-job training before I, I went back for grad school. And what I want to focus on this morning is your work with the um, Walk Bike Initiative for the City of Columbia. So can you talk a little bit about what prompted the City of Columbia to undertake that planning initiative? Sure. So I, I wasn't here. The plan, the plan was adopted um, shortly before I came to the city in 2015. But um, it was a plan that I think was a long time in the making in that there had been a general upswell of um, the local population, which you, you would have been a part of, um, to, to really address some of the concerns around bike and pedestrian safety in the city. Um, South Carolina has some pretty awful um, statistics when it comes to bike and pedestrian safety, but also just recognizing that, uh, you know, we're, we're college town. University of South Carolina is one of a number of colleges in this town. It's certainly the, the big one in the room, but we've 
we've got, um, you know, two HBCUs, a number of seminary. You, there's just, there are a lot of folks that are actually walking and biking, not only to work, but to school. Um, and there are a lot of folks that are um, riding the bus system. So um, in, in other communities, we've actually seen decrease in transit ridership. And of course, this last pandemic year and a bit um, otherwise, the, the Comet, the Central Midlands Regional Transit Authority has actually seen an increase in ridership based on some of the funding they've put in and um, just the accessibility. So, you know, there was there was kind of this groundswell um, and our Bicycle Pedestrian Advisory Committee had formed in the late, mid to late 2000s and they um, were kind of continually um, lobbying and, and focusing their efforts on how do we come up with a comprehensive bike plan, ped plan for, for the city? And so they were, were advocating with council, they were advocating with local government staff. Um, we also had at the same time, the Richland County penny tax for transportation. So uh, in South Carolina, counties are able to levy a, a percentage sales tax for transportation projects, which include bike and pedestrian projects. So we knew that money was coming down the road and there were a lot of concerns as to you know, would it would it take on the the right formulation on our streets? There, there have been a lot of changes in bike ped planning, even in the last decade. But certainly, from from the time the penny tax was passed to when the, the funding actually came to fruition. So, um, all that being said, they uh, city city staff and the Central Midlands Council of Governments um, and council were able to put together some funding through. Uh, through FHWA funding and and because we included some of the comet and and a bike share plan, um, a lot of that funding came came through the cog. So we were able to kind of focus that that comprehensive plan that way. And how has the process of getting community buy-in been? Has that been a challenging process in any way? Um, I you know I would say that the buy-in is actually more difficult on a project specific basis than it is on the planning effort itself. So um, when we talk, you know, we talk about kind of that comprehensive plan for bike and pedestrian, we know it's, you know, it's really a 20 to 30 year outlook of what, what we could do. And I think it's easier to get people to agree on the principles. We want it to be safer for all modes of travel. We want it to, you know, we want to have ample space to, to walk and bike. We want there, you know, to be crosswalks and bike lanes. Like folks agreeing on those concepts is not usually the problem. It's it's the constant planning problem the that we face no matter what we're talking about planning wise, which is the the not in my backyard problem. Like I don't I don't I don't want to lose my parking to my on-street parking to a bike lane. I don't want to change um, the speed of this road on my regular route. I those sorts of things, you know, I don't want a road diet on a, a lower volume road because I'm used to flying down it on my way to work. It, so it's still a very car-centric culture. And so I think that's where we, when we say, all right, we're talking about this stretch of roadway, that's where we get some of the, um, some of the concerns. 
And I'm curious too, I've, I've noticed that in a lot of cities, there's kind of a mismatch between what areas are pedestrian friendly and what areas are affordable. And it seems like a lot of the people who are more apt to need the pedestrian infrastructure are not necessarily people who can afford to live in the neighborhoods that have the most of that infrastructure. Has that been a challenge that Columbia has faced? It's definitely a challenge. And I think it's actually a challenge that dates back to the um, the periods of development in the city of Columbia. So um, Columbia proper was is, is almost 250 years old. It will be in um, 2036. So it's one of our first planned cities. Um, and when I say proper, I guess I should say historic Columbia proper. So um, a two mile square grid that is the center of the city was actually planned as a result of the state legislature wanting to compromise between um, the two strong economies of the state at the time. So shortly after the Revolutionary War, um, Charleston and Greenville and so kind of the, the beach and the mountains were, were vying for, were, were vying for, you know, political favor and and they said, well, let's move the capital to the center of the state. So so there we sit, right? But um, the original city was was designed at a time when um, there was some fear about mosquito-borne illness, but not necessarily understanding of how that worked. And so our road right-of-ways in the original city are all 100 feet wide because they thought a mosquito would not be able to cross the street without dying. Um, so that gives us some ample space. And as a result, as we've we've seen development kind of fill the city center grid, um, you know, we have more room for wide sidewalks. Um, in some cases, that's also meant we've had room for some pretty wide roadways like Assembly Street, which become barriers to cross for folks. But um, but then as we talk about the development pattern of the city, um, one of the things we found when we updated our comprehensive plan recently, and it was something we knew, but we looked at the housing stock, a lot of our housing stock um, in, in the broader city, which is which is much larger than the original two square mile grid, um, is, is that a lot of our housing stock dates back to the um, early to mid 1950s. So when these new neighborhoods were built, um, both due to redlining practices and to um, some, you know, some of the issues surrounding urban renewal and white flight and, and all of these coming together, but they were also designed in an auto-dominated culture. So they weren't, they were roadways that were designed um, not on the grid with cul-de-sacs, um, without sidewalks, that sort of, so, so it's, it, it's not one thing I would say, but it is, um, it is kind of a culmination of like a lot of our housing stock was built at a time when we were not valuing those things as a community. And then as we saw equity issues continue and we saw public investment focus in those areas in the, the urban renewal, which did horrible things from a um, kind of an equitable standpoint and, and really uh, displaced neighborhoods. Um, Wheeler Hill neighborhood is, is a, a great example of that. The university expanded and University of South Carolina expanded and there were a number of um, African-American communities that were displaced as a result of that expansion. So um, those areas, you know, yeah, they're more walkable because there are these big institutional buildings and they've got wide sidewalks, but they're also that meant that the folks that left those areas were moved to areas that were less walkable because 
that were built in the 50s and then the investment continued to just not be there for a number of years. So I'm also curious to know what are some of the things so far that the city has been able to accomplish in terms of, of really improving pedestrian and bicycle infrastructure and then what are some of the things that are really um, big projects that are left remaining to be accomplished still? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it, one, of the, one of the caveats I always give people is when you, when you have a, a bike ped plan, it can't just be about infrastructure because infrastructure is not going to move as quickly and there are going to be, you know, funding issues and opportunities. So our, our plan includes a number of policies and, and projects that have also um, been things that we've been able to move forward so we can see some, some long-term change based on those. So I think some of our, our great successes, we have had some infrastructure projects, especially those tied to the, the penny tax for transportation that have been collaborative efforts that have improved um, kind of set locations in the city. We've seen, you know, increased ADA crossings and um, there, there's a, like a large plaza um, in front of the Colonial Life Arena, Foundation Square and the Vista that um, would, would have been under construction when you left in 2017, but it's, a, it's supposed to be pedestrian oriented. So it's, um, you know, pedestrians are able to cross. It has some green bike lanes and conflict zones. So it's kind of our showcase project. Um, but we've also done things um, or partnered with folks to do things like our um, Bicycle Pedestrian Advisory Committee has hosted several open streets events, which were a recommendation of the plan to really kind of furthering that conversation. Um, we've now regularly since the onset of the plan being our first year, we regularly conducting bicycle pedestrian counts at locations throughout the city. Um, that's giving us some critical data that we can pass along to our partners because especially here in Columbia, 70% of our streets are controlled by SCDOT. So we're, it's critical that we're engaging on those items and pr providing them with that data because um, they're of course only doing vehicle counts. So, so having that regular bike pack count is important. Um, and our BPAC is also currently working on, on developing a walk bike ambassador program. So one of the interesting things about being in a capital city is that we have a lot of state-based nonprofit and advocacy work, but we've, I think as a community and especially with, with a lot of Columbia maybe leaving in the summer because they're associated with the college, either their students or their, their professors, um, you know, it's a little bit quieter in the summer. So carrying that advocacy forward on a local level has been something that has been difficult for folks. So the Walk Bike Ambassador Program that our BPAC is putting together is, is, is geared towards helping um, your average citizen like know more and and by by being better educated about how that walk bike infrastructure and those programs work and how to engage with projects and with city council and, and with original penny um, they'll be better equipped to kind of move that forward on a you know kind of have more of that upswell because that that initial advocacy was really tied to the creation of the plan and and to keep you know like we don't want the plan to sit on the shelf we we want to be be able to push those items forward and and I think that that program is part of that but to your point because I, I know this is kind of a long answer but accomplishments today I would say you know some of those programmatic things um some of our um some of our projects that we've moved forward and we've actually I think one of the things that we're most you know, excited about in the long term is really that we've built a much better um, line of communication with CDOT. So we're starting to be very engaged on um, as they've got repaving projects going through, you know, how can we restripe? How can we think about that um, 
half of Millwood Avenue was restriped last year, which may not mean much for your podcast folks, but I'm sure it means something to you to, to go from Gervais to Gladden, and it will go all the way to Drew High School um, with bike lanes on both sides. So that's that's pretty key. Those, those, those lanes were way too wide. And so really that tide change is there with DOT, and they've just adopted a complete streets policy that is much more meaningful than their past resolutions had been. So we're pretty excited as we move forward to really be able to partner with them on that. That's interesting, the, the aspect of how the fact that the, the DOT controls so many of the streets in Columbia, because I can imagine that could have been a really challenging thing. So it's good that you've been able to build that partnership and turn that into a positive thing rather than um, so much of a challenge. Yeah, yeah, we really, and, and one of the great things about the complete streets policy is, um, and, and I would say, anyone, you know, the best way to um, get engaged with those repaving projects or those projects is before they've been fully designed, before they're being let out to bid, and the way that our DOT had previously worked. And it's not the case with all DOTs, but they had a one-year repaving list. Um, Some states have a three-year repaving list, so that really gives local governments time to say, oh, let's apply for a grant to kind of make up the cost difference to put in buffered bike lanes or, or do that sort of thing. And so we, we will now have a two-year repaving list going forward, and that will help us considerably kind of leverage those projects and, and look for additional funds to make them more complete street oriented. So I'm curious too, I know a lot of cities have seen an increase in pedestrian and bicycle usage during the pandemic. Has that been something that you've noticed in Columbia? It is something I've noticed anecdotally. We unfortunately, um, because we normally do our bike ped counts in, in the fall of each year, we're unable to count um, because of the city's policies on in-person activities. So, um, and we don't have any automated counters, which I know a number of larger cities would have. But I mean, certainly looking at Strava data, looking at, um, you know, just just walking in, in our neighborhood, um, just the number of folks that are out. Um, we also had an unseasonably cool summer last year. So I know that you, you know that what that would mean for Colombians. It is famously hot here would be the hashtag. So, um, so yes, we, we definitely saw more folks out and about. Um, and I, and I think they've continued to, uh, you know, the one, the one decrease that we, we would have seen would be bus ridership. Um, which I think is, you know, your standard nationwide, probably worldwide. So my one final question is, what changes do you see in terms of the extent to which people are really seeing Columbia as a place where they can live a more pedestrian-oriented lifestyle and perhaps um, maybe only have one car and live in, you know, sort of an environment where they can actually walk to a lot of services? Do you see that as being something that's really starting to take place in Columbia? is um you know columbia being a regional employment hub you're always going to have folks that work in columbia that live um you know out by the lake in lexington county that so you're always going to have some some auto dominated culture i think there but for the folks that are um living downtown or living in kind of those shoulder neighborhoods to the the original historic core we've seen a lot more of of that. And I think where we've really seen the shift is, oh, maybe 10, 15 years ago, I think there was a a larger shift with student, kind of that private student housing to like all the way down Bluff Road. Like they were building these, you know, huge student housing complexes with pools and whatnot. Um, 
far from the city. And now we're starting to see um, student housing and other apartments and kind of that downtown living thrive in the core of the city. So we're increasing our density in the core. And I think you're both by, you know, by the nature of the folks that would desire to live downtown, they're already going to be desiring a more walkable city, but also by the nature of just the increased density of housing and availability of housing. We, um, for many years, did not have a whole lot of housing downtown. So as we see that continue to increase and um, we're looking at historic buildings that have been um, refurbished into apartments, which is really neat. You just, you know, there's, there's life in the city. It's more of a 24 seven city. And I think because people aren't just coming to Columbia to work, they're, they're wanting that um, in the streetscape as well. And I think, too, it's, it's interesting, the timing of all this relative to the revitalization of Columbia's Main Street and the um, adjacent Congaree Vista district. And I think, you know, those things have really helped to feed into all of that and create a synergy that's really reinforced it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, thank you, Lee, for joining us today and talking with us about Walk by Columbia. It was really fascinating to hear what Columbia is doing and wish you all the best with, with that. I think it's an exciting thing, and I hope that Columbia is able to make continued progress with that. Come back and visit us. I think you'll, you know, if you give it a couple of years, you might see some pretty major projects come down the pike that that would be unimaginable when you were here. So we will. We have family there still, so we'll definitely be back soon for a visit. Wonderful, wonderful.